Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at the Local Church, a perfect place for imperfect people. And today, we're we're celebrating, we're kicking off this new teaching series because in, in our Christian calendar, we are in a season called Advent season. And Advent season starts this year on November 22nd, uh, 27th, all the way to December 24th. And if you have no idea what Advent is about, it's, it's a time of the year where followers of Jesus, we pause to reflect and to remember in preparation for anticipation of the celebration that Jesus has come. In other words, we're getting ready for a great party, amen? Amen. Come on, we're getting ready for the greatest birthday party. Jesus has come down. Because Jesus has come down, our lives have gone up, amen? Amen. Who would we be without him? This is why we celebrate. This is why we prepare our hearts. This is why we are anticipating in celebration what it means that Jesus has come to be with us. And this is why we do what we do. And this is why we're in this teaching series called Deck the Halls. We're getting our hearts ready. We're getting this place ready for what it means that Jesus has come to be with us. I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, there's a party I'm preparing for. Turn to someone else, tell them the same thing. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Johnny, he, he, he gave us a sermon about joy. Can we just give him thanks right now? Can, can we just celebrate Pastor Johnny? What a timely good word that was. And while, while, I, was, while I was sitting and, and hearing this timely word, Pastor Johnny said, you know, it was supposed to be a one-off type of sermon. It was a sermon before the series, but little did he know that this would become the catalyst for what we're about to talk about for the next few weeks. I just thought what he said was so profound and so important as we get ready for this party, as we deck the halls, that, that over the next few weeks, I want to continue to talk about joy. Can we do that? Can I talk about joy over the next few weeks? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. It'll be up there on the screens. You can follow along in your app as well. As we hear God's word and as we read this Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, This is, uh, Jesus has been born. These shepherds are out in the fields and they look up in the sky and they see a bright light and they see these angels. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great, what? Good news of great joy that will be for all people. The angel comes to these shepherds on this Christmas morning and says, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm coming with good news of great joy. This is going to mean joy for all people. And so what was this good news? Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, today a savior has been born to you. Someone who will set you free from your sin, from the power of death. And this is good news that should bring great joy. Here's the first big idea that I want us to understand as we, as we deck the halls this Christmas. Write this down. The presence of Jesus should produce the present of joy. The presence of Jesus, him coming down to be with us, should produce the present, the gift of joy. 
In other words, people who have Jesus should have joy. People who have been set free by Jesus, they should have joy in their life. Like Pastor Johnny talked about last week. Joy is the birthright of every single believer in Jesus. It should be something living within us, pouring out of us. We're supposed to have joy. In fact, in John 15, 11, Jesus says this himself. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Why? That my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Every follower of Jesus should have joy. So I guess that the question is, for some of us, why then do, do we not feel joyous during this season? Why am I not as excited about Christmas as this preacher? How come every time I see the decorations in the mall and hear Mariah Carey, I get a little bit upset? How come I don't have joy? And some of us, we feel that way, I understand. We feel more like Ebenezer Scrooge than St. Nicholas when it comes to Jesus. We don't feel joy. Why? If joy is the, the present of every single believer because of the presence of God coming down to be with us, how come some of us don't feel that? Part of it is because we've mistaken happiness for joy. We think that happiness and joy are the same thing, and they're not. Happiness is, is a feeling, but joy is an emotional condition. It's not just dependent on the exterior. It, it, it's something that comes from the interior. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but, but happiness depends on happenings. Something has to happen externally for us to feel happy. And the problem with happiness and the challenge with, with happiness is to have happiness and to maintain happiness, everything externally has to be good and continue to be good all at the same time. I don't know about you, but, but never in my life has everything been good and stayed good all at the same time. It's hard to, to make sure that my, my, my marriage is good and my children are good and my relationships are good and my work is good and my finances are good and my health is good and to stay good all at the same time. That's never happened in my life. Something always messes it up, right? The money becomes funny, the change becomes strange, you have a temperamental teenager who gives you an attitude and just ruins your day. You have a foolish coworker who says or does something stupid and ruins everything. Happiness depends on things happening. Happiness comes from our feelings, but joy, joy comes from faith in Jesus. So part of the problem is that we confuse happiness with joy, but the other problem is when, when we have been given this gift of joy, when we experience joy, we don't know how to keep it. When, when we have joy, we don't do our part to protect that joy. Last week, Pastor John, he, he talked about the power of joy. Today, I wanna talk about how to protect, say protect, how to protect our joy. So write this down. The joy that we possess, followers of Jesus, you have a gift, a present called joy within you. The joy that we possess, we must protect. See, God's a gift giver, 
And he's given all of us in him this incredible deep-rooted joy within us. But whatever is obtained from God must be maintained. Whatever we possess from God, we need to protect. Because it's one thing to get it. And we got it, amen? But it's another thing to keep it. It's another thing to protect it. Why is that? Because we have an enemy. We have an adversary, a Grinch, who Jesus says in John 10.10 comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And very much like the Grinch of Whoville, we have a Grinch named Satan who wants to steal the joy that comes with Christmas. And so if we're going to deck the halls, if we're going to get ourselves ready in preparation for the greatest party that will bring good news and joy to everyone, we have to learn to protect. It's imperative that we protect our joy. Now, some of you, we have, some, we have some biblical scholars here in this place. We have some people. I've been walking with Jesus for some time. I've been coming to this church for some time. And, and I've always believed that God is my protector. That God will be the one who fights the battles for me, who wins the victory for me. You are right. God is our protector. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. When something is spoken against us, Jesus is the one who vindicates. God is the one who covers and protects. But we have to understand how God protects. Sometimes God protects through Divine intervention, you know what that is? That's when God does something for you. Like a good example of this is found in, in the Old Testament while the people of Israel, they are on their exodus and, and the people of Egypt, the Egyptians are coming after them to kill them. They're faced before this, this insurmountable sea called the Red Sea. And God says to them, I want you to stand still and see the salvation, the protection of the Lord and the seas split and they have a pathway to walk through it, protecting them. And then their enemies were destroyed. That was divine intervention. That was nothing on what they did. That was God coming in and protecting them. So sometimes God protects us through divine intervention. Amen? But sometimes... God protects us through divine instruction. God says, I'm going to give you some direction. And that direction is going to be your protection if you obey it. Sometimes he protects us through divine instruction. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. It'll be up there on the screens as well. This is part of the Christmas story as we deck the halls. This is after the angels came to the shepherds and said, we're bringing good news of great joy. Joy had already come. Joy was already present, but look how it had to be protected. Matthew 2, 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord, this is Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. God gave some divine instruction to Joseph. See, Jesus was born in, in a region that was governed by someone named Herod. Say Herod. Herod. Herod had been assigned this region under the Roman emperor. 
And so when Herod, who's ruling over this area, hears this news that the king of the Jews has been born and he knows that the area that he rules is filled with Jewish people, he begins to grow insecure. And his insecurity led him to do something illogical because that's what insecurity does. Unchecked insecurity leads to illogical decisions. He begins to do what so many of us do when we feel a sense of insecurity. He begins to ask himself these questions and, and talk to himself in a way that is negative. He begins to believe lies that are not true. Well, well, this, this king of the Jews, he, he's been born here. And what if the people like him more than they like me? And what if the people create an insurrection? And then what's the Roman emperor gonna do to me? Is he gonna kill me before he kills me? I need to kill this child. That wasn't true. Jesus didn't want what Herod had. Jesus wasn't after his throne. Jesus, Jesus wasn't after his kingdom. The kingdom he was after was a spiritual kingdom. The throne he was after was the one at the right hand of God. But Herod began to act illogical because of all these insecurities and he came up with this edict, this, this declaration that every young boy who had been recently born had to be killed. That's what the enemy does. He seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy the gift that God has given, given us in Jesus now, I want to make this clear, okay? I don't want us to be afraid. He can't. I got one amen. Thank you for that. <laughs> he can't, nine o'clock. As followers of Jesus, he can't steal your joy. He can't kill your destiny. He can't destroy your abundant life in Jesus. He can't do that. But if we don't learn to protect what God has given to us. If we don't learn how to protect our joy, the enemy can certainly distract us and therefore we won't experience the power of this joy. And so, so Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, Jesus and Mary, they have no clue that, that Herod declared this, that there was this threat over their life. But all of a sudden, God comes to Joseph in a dream. Matthew 2, 13. Rise, take up the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. God comes to Joseph in a dream. Now he came to Joseph who was actually sleeping physically. But how many of us know that, that, that we can be sleeping metaphorically, right? We can be sleepwalking. We can be walking and living this life without a clue that there is joy for us to experience without experiencing the power of this joy. And just like Joseph, God can come to us and he can speak to us. He can speak to us in a moment and remind us, get out of this slumber. Wake up, oh sleeper. Stop sleepwalking. Get out of your coma. There's great joy for you to be had. You gotta deck the halls. You gotta get ready. And so this is what he did and this is what he's doing in this teaching series. God tells him, I want you to get up and I want you to leave and I want you to stay in Egypt until I tell you it's okay. This was his divine instruction. 
God spoke to him divinely in a dream and gave him some direction that would be his protection. But just like the instruction God gives to us, we have to obey it completely, amen? He had to do every single step for him to see that protection because partial obedience is not obedience at all. Partial obedience is disobedience. But Joseph, being a just man, he obeyed. He obeyed to a T. He picked up his family. Leave all the gifts. Leave the swaddling clothes. Let's go. And they go to Egypt and they stay there until God gives them, it's the, God gives them the okay to leave there. And this is what protected the joy of the world. You understand that? We wouldn't be reading this Christmas story had not Joseph obeyed the divine instruction that God had given him. And his obedience is what protected the joy that had come into the world. So it goes to us now. If we're gonna protect this joy that God has given to every believer that isn't dependent on outside circumstances happening by the economy being great, by everything we desire happening to us, if we're gonna protect this joy that is within us, we have to follow divine instruction. And the great thing is this Christmas text, it gives us some instruction of how we can deck the halls, how we can prepare for the coming of Jesus, how we can get ready for what God is going to do of setting a tone of celebration for what is to come. It gives us some instruction of how to deck the halls to keep our joy so that we don't deck someone in the head because they're getting us angry. Three things we can do to protect our joy. I want you to write these down in your notes. The first one is this. To protect our joy, we must pursue God's presence. To protect our joy, we must pursue God's presence. When these shepherds heard this good news of great joy, no one had to force them to, to search for Jesus. No one had to twist their arm. No one had to guilt them into going to see. They did it on their own accord. They pursued the presence of God on their own. Why is this important when it comes to our joy and protecting our joy? Because very simply, Psalm 1611 says that in the presence of God, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Look what it says, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. Your, your presence, in your presence, there is fullness, there is completion, there is a refueling and a refilling of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's presence fills us with joy. In other words, when we are in the presence of God, it has the potential to change our emotional condition. It may not change what's happening on the exterior, but it has the power to change what's happening on the interior, our emotional condition, and that's what joy is. But to protect our joy, I want you to hear this, okay? I want to make this as practical as possible so that this Christmas season isn't some religious obligation and we waste it. It's almost impossible for us to protect our joy if we don't practice spiritual disciplines. What does spiritual discipline a spiritual discipline is a spiritual exercise that we participate in to strengthen ourselves spiritually. 
If you want to be physically fit, you can't just will it, right? You can't just hope, oh, I, I, I hope I get a six-pack. No, you have to do the work, right? The same is true with our spiritual disciplines, our spiritual exercise. We can't just hope, we can't just pray, we can't just wish. We have to practice some spiritual disciplines to strengthen ourselves spiritually. And so spiritual disciplines in God's word, it's, it's studying his word. That's a spiritual discipline. It's praying. That's a spiritual discipline. It's worshiping God. That's a spiritual discipline. And these spiritual disciplines are important because they take us into the presence of God. Do you understand that? This isn't some religious checkoff that we do. We don't read God's word because it's our rule book. It's not an Ikea, you know, instruction manual on how to build your Klarnog. We read God's word because it's how we hear from him. It's how he speaks to us. It takes us in his presence. We don't pray because if we don't pray, then our food will not be blessed and it'll be poison. And now our Chick-fil-A is like, oh no, I'm dead. I didn't bless my, no, that's not why we pray. We pray because it's how we communicate to God. That's how we talk to our heavenly father who hears us and who loves us. We don't worship God because we believe in a, a loud and lively church, right? We don't come together and sing his praises because we're, we're uninformed. It's because we, we are informed. That's why we worship him. What the world considers luck, we know that it's God's blessing. What the world considers blessing and hashtag blessed, we know that it is the favor of God upon us. And this is why we come together and we worship him. These spiritual disciplines, they take us into the presence of God. I wanna talk about worship a little bit more though. That word worship, it means to express worth. To express worth. It doesn't mean to feel gratitude. That's not what worship is. Because we can feel gratitude but not express it. We can feel good for something but not say it with our lips. What worship is, is, is we come and we say to God in his presence, you have worth in my life. You are of the utmost value to me. There's nothing and no one more important than you. And this is why I come together on Sundays at the local church and I worship you and I give you praise and I, I give you adoration for who you are. Now, I just want to pause right there because some of you are like, I, I, I thought we could worship anywhere. You can. Of course you can. His presence is with you wherever you go. But God has also set aside a, a specific place where his children, where his family come together. And so when we come and we worship together, we're encouraging one another. We get to experience his presence. We're uplifted by community and song and the word. And our joy is made full in his presence. Why is that? I want you to hear this. Write this down in your notes. It's not up on the screens, but I want you to write this down. Because the thing that drains your joy will never fill it up. 
The thing that drains your joy will never fill it back up. It's only the presence of God and getting in his presence that fills it up. We can only get joy from the one who gave it to us. The things in the world, they drain our joy, right? The traffic, the news, the peculiar people, all of that stuff, it drains our joy and it's not gonna give it back to us because it doesn't have it. You can't go to someone if you have a disagreement with them or you fight with them and you say, hey, what you said offended me. Give me back my joy. They can't. They don't have your joy. Now, the potential for joy is in you, follower of Jesus, but the only one who can refill it, who can refuel it, is God. And this is why we get in his presence. We have to pursue his presence. This is how we protect our joy. I'm telling you, listen, you have a lot going on this month. There's a lot of great things you can do on a Sunday morning, but if you wanna protect your joy, Join us online. Come here in person. And let's, let's prepare ourselves in anticipation and celebration together. Amen? Amen? Second thing is this. To protect our joy, we must handle our Herods. If we want to protect our joy, we need to learn to handle our Herods. Herod tried to kill Jesus, tried to kill the one who has come to bring great joy to the world, good news of great joy. And what Herod represents in our life are the individuals or the issues that have the power to assassinate our joy. If we're gonna protect our joy, we need to know what we're protecting our joy from, right? So here's what I want you to do. In your notes right, right now, write down what historically has robbed you of joy in the past. Go ahead and take some time to think about that and write that down. Because we have to know what we're protecting our joy from. And I'm telling you, we have an enemy, but he doesn't change his plan on you. He's not scheming every day. What are new things that I can do to distract Eric? No, he's doing the same things over and over. And if it works once, he's gonna continue to do it. So what is that thing that you know that has the potential to rob you of your joy because it has in years past? Those are your Herods. For some of you, it might be time management. Time management might be your Herod because it's hard, if not impossible, to have joy if you don't manage your time well, if you're overwhelmed, Again, tis the season to be jolly, but it's also the season to get so wrapped up in so many things. There's so much happening on our calendars in December, right? You got school plays to go to, work parties, church services, service projects. There's so many things happening. And if we commit to everything and say yes to everybody, if we're people pleasers and don't know how to say no, and all we do is we fill our calendars with yes, 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 I'm telling you, you won't be along for very long. For some of us, it's our time management. And when it comes to our time management, when it comes to our calendar, we have to destroy those issues before they destroy us. Turn to someone next to you right now. Let's practice. Look them in the eyes and just say, no. 
This is your permission to deck the halls, protect your joy by saying no. Now it comes off a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Like if someone said, hey, you wanna come to my Christmas party? No. <laughs> so let me tell you something that I heard recently from, from someone I, I believe in that, that helped me to say no in a more loving way. If someone invites you to something, but you know that you don't have the, the margin to do it, say this, write this down in your notes if you have to. Say, my, my spirit is willing, but my schedule does not allow it. My spirit would love to, but unfortunately my schedule doesn't allow it. Now, if I said that to you over the past few weeks, I don't apologize because I love you enough to love me enough to say no. I can't. I can't do it. Thank you for the invitation, but I'm not able to be there. Some of us, we, we, we need to pray for bravery to say no so that we can protect our joy, so that we can continue to carry this joy of good news for all people instead of having a frown throughout Christmas like so many Christians do. Second thing is this. For some of you, it, it, it might be your time management. For some of us, it might be our content consumption. We wonder why our joy isn't full it may be in part that, that we spend more time staring at screens than we do worshiping God, or it might be primarily because we spend our time staring so much at our screens. You know, what we consume is what we become. If all we do is consume content, that content will become who we are. All the news we watch, all the shows that watch, that, that becomes who we are. And the danger in all this consumption is that when good news of great joy comes your way like it did for Herod, because all you've been thinking of is what you've been eating and receiving and pulling in, all you're thinking about is the bad news and you miss the good news of great joy. I read a report this week. It says it doesn't even matter what kind of content you consume. Doesn't matter if you're scrolling through feeds or watching YouTube videos or binging on Netflix. I want you to hear this. Scientific research has proven that if you are staring at a screen between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., what it does is, is it irritates a part of the brain, I'm probably gonna say this wrong, called the humanella. And what happens in that is that that brain, that part of the brain, it, it lowers dopamine, it creates disappointment, and it's a pro-depressive. Doesn't matter what you're watching, doesn't matter what you're scrolling through, if you're doing it while you should be sleeping, it's gonna promote depression. Come on, Familia. We gotta deck the halls. There's, there's joy to the world that has come. There's good news. And to protect our joy, we have to handle our Herods. Some of us, we need to put down the screens and get some sleep to protect our joy. Amen? And sometimes, maybe it's not the content management, or maybe it is. Maybe it's not the, the time management. But for some of us, our Herods are actually individuals. When I told you to write down the thing that has historically stolen your joy, some of you, you wrote down people's names. My Herod is my neighbor, Harry. My Herod is Karen. 
Talk about, yeah, Karen, Karen's my Herod, right? We write down names and we're asking, so what do we do? How do we handle those Herods? Do we kill them? No, no, we can't do that, no. Do, do we cut them off? Do we cancel them? Do we cuss them out? Because Pastor Eric, I'm telling you, if I could just cuss them out, that would make me very happy. We're not talking about happiness, amen? We're talking about joy. What do we do? Herod, he wanted to destroy Jesus. But God didn't tell him, I want you to destroy Herod first. Did he say that? And God didn't say, I want you to stay there until Herod destroys you. Is that what God said? What did God say? Get out of there. I want you to create some distance not destroy, I want you to create some distance between you and Herod. He says, I want you to go to Egypt until things die down. When I tell you to come back, I want you to come back. And this is important for us as, as we learn to protect our joy. Because the Bible tells us to love people well and to love people, all people, amen, without conditions. But loving people without conditions is not a statement about my position. It doesn't mean that I have to subject myself to toxic behavior and destructive patterns of other people all in the name of love. I can love people and set some boundaries, amen? And for some people, that needs to happen at a distance. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, those qualifiers, if it's possible, and as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. For us to be at peace with some people, we have to create some distance. It needs to happen from a distance. We need to not say my spirit is willing, but my schedule won't allow. We need to tell them no. No, I'm not willing to do that. When they blow up our cell phones, we need to stop responding. We need to say, we need to take a break. There needs to be some distance. We need to not be where they're at. Otherwise, they're going to drain your joy. I pray that God would give you confidence to handle your Herods. We can't say, someday soon I'll do that. No, no. If you don't do it now, soon may not come. You understand that? We have to learn to handle our hair to, project our, to protect our joy. And the final thing is this. To protect our joy, write this down. To protect our joy, we must escape, escape to Egypt. If we want to protect our joy and get ready for this season of, of God coming down to be with us and to set us free, we have to escape to Egypt. Again, Egypt, it... it, it it symbolizes a place of refuge and restoring, a place of renewal and replenishment. So here's what I, I want you to write down in your notes. What replenishes you? You have to know what replenishes you to head there. What is that? God told Joseph, I want you to go to Egypt until Herod dies. Our Egypts are a place for us to be replenished until things die down in our lives. And if we're gonna learn to protect our joy, we have to give ourselves permission every now and then to escape to Egypt in this overworked, hyper-connected, hyper-achieving culture. Little caveat here, though. I'm not saying be a terrible parent. 
I'm not saying be neglectful of your responsibilities. Just leave your work behind and say, I'm done with it. I need to go to Egypt. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that sometimes in order for us to be a better parent, to be a better spouse, to be more productive, we have to get away. We have to take time to replenish and rest so that we can come back and and be the best that we can be to those people that we love, to the mission God has given us. And I love talking about this because without fail, there's always people who give excuses. Pastor Eric, you're stressing me out. I don't have the time to take a break. I can't afford taking a break. I'm not saying it has to be a week. I'm not even saying it has to be a day or it doesn't even have to cost you money. But you have to find an opportunity to get away because your calling is too costly. Your joy is too valuable. You cannot afford not to do it. Listen, Christmas is coming. A time of year where people far from God, they're feeling festive. They say yes to an invite. They come to church. And there's a potential for them to experience this Savior, this Jesus. But how hard is it going to be if the person who invites them look like they don't even care about anything? Because you're tired. Because you're exhausted. There's joy to the world. The world needs joy. So turn to someone next to you right now. Tell them, get to Egypt. You got to get to Egypt. You got to take time to rest. It's not weakness, it's biblical. Jesus said, hey, there's seven days in a week. You work six of them. One day I want you to rest. And while you rest, I'll take care of the rest. In the Old Testament, we see this principle even baked into creation. He told his people, for six years, I want you to harvest the land, but in the seventh year, I want you to let the land rest. Don't plant anything. And to prepare you so that the land can rest, I'm gonna bless you double in the sixth year, but I need you to learn a rhythm of rest. It's biblical. You gotta find Egypt. You gotta find a place that you can retreat to or else you won't keep your joy. And I've been praying that God would just give us a spirit of permission to find an opportunity and a time to be able to rest. Some of you need this more than you even know. You're carrying so many things in this season and you feel like if you you continue on, maybe you can make it, but if you don't, then everything is gonna crumble. And all that pressure is upon you right now. But I want to challenge you. Do you love everybody enough to take care of you? I didn't say that wrong. Do you love your family enough? Listen, I love you enough. Okay, not not just me. I love you enough. I love this church enough for me to get to Egypt every now and then. I love my family enough for me to get to Egypt every now and then. Listen, I, I, I have a healthy study life. I pray, I fast, but can I tell you that's not the only thing that I do? Some Mondays, you might be thinking, I'm praying for the church, I'm fasting for the sun. No, I'm not. I'm at AMC watching a movie. Why? Because I gotta get to Egypt. Last week I wasn't here. Do you know where I was? Egypt, 
with my family. Why? Because I can't talk about protecting our joy if I am not protecting my joy. I can't be who God wants me to be to those that I love if I'm not loving myself and allowing myself to rest. I want you to hear this. Where you are here is where you're at. Where you are in your mind, that's where you're really at. So you can take a break, but if you're not learning to rest this, you're not resting. You can be on a vacation in Jamaica, but if this is still on work, if this, if your mind is still on all the things that you left behind, you're still there. Your joy will not be replenished. Your joy will not be protected and you will not rest. And if we can't learn the power of a break, we'll be broken. Let's deck the halls. Let's give ourselves permission to get to Egypt. Listen, church for me, this has been a banner year for us. We have seen God save more people in this house than any time before. And now as we head into the busiest season for most people's calendars and the most beautiful season of the church, we have work to do. We have joy to share. But unless joy is made full in our lives, it's not gonna pour over to the world. Unless we learn to protect and to, to replenish our joy, the world is not gonna see the joy in us. As we conclude today, I want to ask you that question. There's two questions I ask at the conclusion of every service, but I want to make it specific. What's God been teaching you? What's the Holy Spirit over the course of the past 35 minutes been nudging at your heart to do? What do you need to do? Do, do, do you need to manage your schedule better? Do you need to learn to say no? Have you just been going through the motions and not pursuing God's presence? Have you just been living life and, and not handling your Herods? Have you been so overworked and God is saying, I need you to get to Egypt for a little bit. I need you just to take a break and to remember how good I've been to you so that while you are busy, while you are working, you don't forget the reason for the season. And your life can be a part of building the church and setting people free as you deck the halls to prepare your joy. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Let's pray about having confidence to do something about it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.